0: Turn then in your Bibles or in the sermon insert to our sermon text for today, Genesis chapter 15, 7 through 21. And just to remember the context, we looked at the first part of this chapter last week, last Sunday, and God had appeared to uh, Abraham or the word of the Lord had come to Abraham just as it would to other prophets and assured Abraham of God's favor towards him and his his promises. And Abraham believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. I said that this was the first place in the Bible where the word faith is mentioned. I should have pointed out the word believe and faith is is the same in Hebrew. So when Abraham believed God, you can also say Abraham uh, had faith in God. Uh, but this is certainly not the first time faith has been exercised in the Bible, but it is uh, mentioned here for the first time and mentioned as the way by which Abram was righteous before God, not on the basis of his works, but by receiving the promises of God by faith. And so uh, the passage though, will continue as God uh, assures him of his promises and cuts a covenant. And we'll explain that phrase in a minute. So beginning in verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell around him. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 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 Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us and revealing your grace, your covenant that you have made and been faithful to. We pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us through your word to give us light and understanding and that we might lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. You would build up our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage speaks of how God bound himself with a covenant oath. The Lord calls his people out This is something we'll see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He takes the initiative, he calls his people out, and he gives them an inheritance. He promises to deliver them from their enemies and give them the land. God binds himself to his people by this covenant, and that covenant is symbolized in this ceremony. Uh, This ceremony uh, symbolizes the oath that God takes, um, both in, in the deed and in the words, that he makes to Abraham, an oath that is mentioned elsewhere in Scripture. As we'll see, I might touch on Psalm 105, speaks of the covenant made with Abraham and summarizes it in these terms. And as we saw Zechariah in the New Testament, speak of God's holy covenant, his oath to Abram, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him in righteousness and holiness all the days of our life. Now, the word covenant, a pretty important word, right? We Our church is called Covenant Family Church. Uh, God's word speaks of covenant. It comes from the word to bind. Um, It is a binding or a bond. And a covenant is an oath that establishes a relationship between two parties and defines the nature and obligations of that relationship and it binds them together. So it's an oath that establishes and defines a relationship, binding the two together. And we'll find that it's God here that makes that oath to his people. And covenants were made by being cut. Um, To make a covenant, you'll see in verse 18, it says God made a covenant, literally is to cut a covenant. The word, Hebrew word for cut is used. Of course, it means to make a In this context, but literally it's to cut. And you'll see in this passage why it is said that covenants were cut, because it involved cutting animals in two. It involved cutting uh, them and, and killing animals. It was a covenant in blood, or as some will say, a bond in blood administered by God. It was a widespread practice in many countries through many centuries with variations to ratify a covenant with the killing or sacrificing of animals and occasionally to walk through the pieces. In Jeremiah 34, uh, God's people renew their covenant with God by uh, walking through uh, the pieces of a calf that have been killed and separated, and they walk through it and and renew God's covenant with them and, and promise to release all their slaves. Now, it's actually brought up in Jeremiah 34 because they then took all the slaves back once they were out of danger, and God was going to treat them like that calf and let them be torn to pieces and eaten by the birds. So there was a degree of of, of curse for those who walked back on the covenant and uh, committed treason and betrayal. But it was a covenant in blood by which God promised uh, by his oath. And we'll notice in this text it is God who is walking through the pieces, uh, promising to fulfill his promises. Um, There was one time I was was reading the Iliad, you know, a Greek earliest piece of European literature and got really excited in book three when it talked about making a pact uh, in blood where they take lambs and they, and they, and they declare the oaths, uh, the terms of the treaty and, and kill the animals and pour out the wine and say, you know, whoever breaks this treaty, let his brains be spilled out like this blood, you know, or like this wine. Uh, this was in Rome and Greece and the Hittites and the Mesopotamians all over the world. This is how uh, alliances, treaties, uh, covenants were made but what's unique of course in this case is that it is God making the covenant Um, that's rather unique that's not the way every religion worked that God himself would draw near to his people and bind himself by an oath to his people making them his people by a covenant uh, and by blood God is calling himself to witness You know, these animals were usually killed as they called God to witness. As examples of the death they invoked for the betrayal of the covenant and as a symbol that bound the parties together. Uh, But that's even more important when God himself is making the covenant. He's swearing by himself. He cannot be destroyed. His promises, therefore, are certain. And a relationship with him is only possible through the shedding of blood, uh, through atonement. Just give one other example from the time in, in Syria in the 17th century B.C., there was a king, Abba Ann, who made a treaty with his brother, who was a lesser king, and he gave him territory, All right? So kind of parallel to here, God giving Abram territory. The lesser king swore loyalty to the higher king on pain of losing his territory, and then the higher king, it says, placed himself under oath to him, and he also cut the neck of a lamb, and he swore, I shall never take back what I gave thee. Well, here, though, in Genesis... It is God himself giving Abram the land. God himself being the Lord of the covenant and Abram being the vassal, the knight, as it were, who had now a feudal loyalty to his Lord, to God. The Lord had bound himself by a solemn covenant to deliver and bless Abram's offspring. And that is all of those who are of the faith of Abraham, who have faith in Jesus Christ. This is a covenant Some of the terms have been expanded now, but it's the same covenant of grace by which we are delivered, that Jesus came to fulfill. And so we ought to believe the Lord with Abram and follow boldly by faith, resting upon his covenant. So believe and follow the Lord, first knowing that God calls you from the world into his kingdom. Second, knowing that God establishes a covenant with you by sacrifice. Third, that God will be faithful to his people through tribulation to deliverance. And fourth, that God has bound himself to fulfill this covenant. First, let's look at verse 7. God calls you as he called Abram. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. As is typical with ancient covenants and biblical covenants, God begins by laying its foundation by recounting the history of him and his people. How did we get to this place? This is why you are obligated to me. Uh, I have uh, given you grace. I have redeemed you. I have brought you to myself. God has taken the initiative to bring his people out of the world under his protection. Does this phrase remind you of something else that God says to his people a little bit later? I am the Lord who brought you. I'm the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That's the way uh, the Mosaic covenant begins in the Ten Commandments. Well, here too, God begins the same way. I am the Lord, Jehovah, uh, this God, and I'm the one who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans, out of the, the worship of idols, out of that land, to give you a land, to make you my people, to give you land. God makes his covenant on the basis of grace, on the basis of his call. Apart from God's grace, you and I are lost. We are in Ur. We're in the world. But God takes the initiative. He reaches out to lost sinners and he brings them to himself. And God's gospel call, it comes as a call. It says, come and answer. As he told Abram, you know, come. Uh, But it's an effectual call. He is the one that brings him out just as he does in the gospel. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something for you to do, right? But he is the one that brings you to it. He is the one that draws you to Christ. And so it is all of his grace. So God is the one who calls us. And God also describes why he has called us, to give us an inheritance. He says, I am the Lord who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. That's going to be a main focus of the rest of this chapter. How do I know I'm going to possess it? I will give this land to you. Think of with this promise of land, this should remind you back to the beginning of the story. What did God give man at the very beginning? He gave him land. He gave him the earth. He gave him a garden. A place where he would dwell with God. A place in which he would serve God and glorify God. And yet, what happened when man sinned? He was kicked out of the garden. The land became hostile to him. Um, Cain became a wanderer on the earth. Uh, But now, through grace, this is being reversed. God gives Abram a promise of land, of inheritance. So what would that mean for Abram? It would mean security. It would mean peace, stability, a home, and a home under God's lordship. It's important that the land was granted by God. God was the king, and Abram's people would be his vassals, his knights, as it were. The land was to be a place where they served their lord. So, God saves a people that he might give them a place in his kingdom and enlist them into his service. You're not just saved to just stand there, uh, but to inherit, to be sons of the kingdom. The kingdom is now not limited to Canaan, uh, but it's stretching out all over the world through the gospel. Wherever we are, we have rest under God and the fruits of the earth given to us out of God's love and mercy. And the world is being possessed by Christ and filled with his people. And God brought Jesus out of death to give him the world. And likewise, he raises sinners with Christ, to give them an everlasting share in Christ's kingdom. He brought you out of the ur of death and sin, that he might give you a share in Christ's kingdom, an everlasting share, a kingdom that shall come in its fullness at Christ's return. So, like Abram, you've been called out of the world, you've been brought under God's protection, but you also haven't quite received the full inheritance. There's more to, that awaits, as there was for Abram. Historically, in this age, we await the fulfillment of God's promises to bless all the nations of the world through the gospel that's begun, but we obviously look around at the world and wonder when's this going to come to pass? There's a lot more to go, right? So historically, we have things to look for, but then also, you know, more personally, you await the possession of heavenly glory after death, the new creation to come at Christ's coming. And you've been called by the Lord to follow him to the end. The one who endures to the end will be saved. You have need of endurance that by faith and patience you might inherit the promises. And so it's good to seek greater assurance, stronger faith, like Abram did. Abram in verse 8 says, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Abram was able to confide in God, to pour out his weaknesses. To seek greater assurance. As John Calvin notes, the more certainly Abram was persuaded that God was true, and the more he was attached to his word, so much the more familiar, familiarly did he disburden his cares into God's bosom. In other words, the more he trusted God, the freer he was to lay his burdens upon him. As we'll see, Abram was God's friend. As his people become. And he's willing to confide in God. How, how do I know that I will possess it? Can you help me out here? It's good and right to seek greater assurance, to call out to the Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And so God answers Abram by assuring him of his promise in a covenant ceremony. So let's look at verses 9 through 11. God tells Abram to bring him certain animals um, a heifer three years old. A, that means, you know, like, like a female cow that hasn't had a, a child, I believe, and uh, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon, all right, we've got five animals, and three of them are cut in half, the birds are not cut in half. Now, what's all this about? Well, later on, as we know from the law of Moses, these were all sacrificial animals, and in sacrificing the pigeons and turtle doves, you were not supposed to tear them in two, You know, so this is following procedures that we'll later find in the law. And so they are being brought to God by being sacrificed. They're carcasses by verse 11. You know, so they're killed, they're cut in half, and they're laid on the ground. Uh, This is preparing, preparation for a covenant ceremony, forming a bloody pathway for them to walk between the pieces. Notice that God's covenant with his people is founded upon sacrifice. God's covenant of works before sin did not require the shedding of blood. God covenanted with Adam, said, you know, don't eat of this tree. I've given you a garden. I'll give you life, but do not disobey me. That did not require blood because there was no sin. But after man's sin, God drew near his people through the shedding of blood for their sins. God killed animals to provide Adam and Eve with clothing. Noah offered burnt offerings before God affirmed his covenant promise with him. Later in Exodus 24, when the people come to Mount Sinai and the covenant is is affirmed and ratified with them, they offer sacrifices. And the blood from the sacrifices are thrown against the altar and half of it is thrown against the people, onto the people, as the blood of the covenant. In Psalm 50, God will describe his people as my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And so Abram makes this covenant with God by sacrifice. He has to go out and do all this work. Notice it was during the night initially when he walked out and saw all the stars in the first part of the chapter, but now it's daytime as he's doing all of this work, preparing, and the birds of prey come on and he has to scare them off, and then it starts to get dark again. But Abram embraced God's covenant by sacrificing the animals. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Without forgiveness of sin, there's no fellowship between God and man. These sacrifices pointed to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being the sacrifice for our sins. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He bore the sin of many and he put away sin by his death. He died to provide the basis for God's covenant with you, with me, to secure all the blessings of the covenant for us. So today, you don't, don't go out there and just start hacking up animals to renew your covenant with God. Uh, instead, uh, do what it symbolized believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, embrace his covenant by believing in Christ and his death for sins. The covenant of grace does not have the condition of perfect and perpetual obedience. It has the condition of faith in Christ that you might participate in all the benefits that he has granted to you, that he grants to his people. He's even given visible symbols of what he's done, right? Baptism, the Lord's Supper, to assure you that you might know for certain. Now, in verses 12 through 16, God also gives Abram more information, telling them that he will be faithful through tribulation and deliver them. In verses 12 through 16, the sun begins to go down, so it's evening. A deep sleep falls on Abram and a dreadful and great darkness falls upon him. Last time we saw a deep sleep, that word, was when Adam was put to sleep to bring Eve out of his side. That's interesting. Then this dreadful and great darkness falls upon him. Thick darkness is connected with God's presence. At the Exodus and Mount Sinai. So God is drawing near, and it feels like a heavy, thick darkness. The presence of God is weighty, is heavy, is mysterious. It is that which produces reverent fear and awe. Now this reverent fear of God produces greater and stronger faith. God is a strong God, an unsearchable God. His wisdom is past finding out. We can trust in Him despite difficulty. But it is a heavy thing that falls upon Abram. And then the Lord speaks to him and tells him what's going to happen. His offspring are going to endure tribulation, a land that's not theirs. They're going to be bound in slavery. But God will judge the people that they serve and bring them out with great possessions. Now, you know what that's talking about, right? He doesn't give the details here. doesn't say which land, but we know what land that is. They had to go to Egypt. And they endure bondage and slavery there. And then God judges the Egyptians. That's what the ten plagues are. So that uh, he forces them to give up Israel. And even with great possessions as they plunder the Egyptians and are brought out by God's intervention. Only then will they come back to Canaan when the iniquity of the Amorites is complete. It's still true today that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. Uh, there are difficulties on the way to glory. God tests his people, he refines his people, and he draws forth his enemies against his people to demonstrate his power and his justice and his love for his people as he hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he might you know, dramatically overwhelm him in showing God's power, delivering his people. As God judged Pharaoh for taking Sarah so that she was released, so he would judge Egypt uh, for taking Israel so that they would be released. So God, through Christ, will continue to vindicate his people and to conquer and restrain all his and our enemies. Those who destroy or seek to destroy the church are touching the apple of God's eye. Uh, He is devoted to his people and he loves them. He loves us. The serpent and its offspring shall wage war on the woman and her offspring. There is enmity between them. Christ shall save his people by crushing the serpent's head. Notice judgment and redemption are connected. Both of them happened at the cross. The death blow was dealt to the evil one and his people were let free. So he did so on the cross So he does progressively in history. And so he shall do when he returns to judge the world. God also alludes to the fact that the land would be given because the Amorites would be judged. That their iniquity would have piled up and was ripe. That the judgment would come upon them, not arbitrarily, but, but for their sins that they would commit. And as an example to Israel, not to do the same things that the Amorites had done. That God is a long-suffering, patient God. waits generations sometimes before he corrects. Gives chance for repentance. Now, Israel's commission to judge the Canaanites, the Amorites, to kill them, that was unique. That's not the way we operate anymore. But you know what's not unique? It's not unique for God to be long-suffering towards the nations. It's not unique for him to hold them accountable in the end. It's not unique that he works all things for the good of his people. No nation should presume on God's patience. Every nation should repent to their sins, seek the mercy of God, whether it's Nineveh, or the Amorites, or the Egyptians, or the Israelites, or the Americans. We should cast ourselves upon his mercy. Verse 15 then God doesn't forget Abram. It's not all about his offspring. He's also personally devoted to Abram. And he says, you should live a long life. You'll die in peace. You'll be buried in a good old age. Those are good blessings. More importantly, Abram would die in faith, trusting that God would not abandon him at death. Notice it says he would go to his fathers. That's a phrase that's often found in Scripture. He was so-and-so was gathered to his people, was gathered to his father, was gathered to the generation of his father's. Now, at the very least, that means that we exist after death and that they knew that in the Old Testament. Perhaps it refers to a blessed existence with the believing forefathers like Adam and Seth and Enoch and Noah and Shem, that God would continue to be the God of Abram even after death. And Jesus uses that fact to argue for the resurrection, that in fact we go to join Abram to go to Abraham's bosom, as Jesus said in his parable, as a place of blessing. And So even if believers don't enjoy all the outward blessings of Abraham's death, certainly I don't think we're going to live to 175 years old, right? Most of us probably not. But they can be sure of God's care and faithfulness through death, of joining Abraham in the presence of the Lord. Even your dust is precious to him. And he looks both for your body and your soul. And he will raise you up on the last day. God will be faithful to his people through the tribulations of this life and through the tribulation of death and bring you out to glory. And so that is the point here. God will be with his people, faithful through the tribulation and bring them out of the tribulation in history and in the second coming of Christ lastly, verses 17 through 20, God has bound himself to fulfill the covenant, to bring all these things to pass. The sun now had gone down all the way. It was nighttime. It was naturally dark. And then behold, all right, imagine everything dark. Again, no electric lights back then. So it really got dark. And there's all these carcasses and dead animals, you know, stretched out there next to where Abram is. And then a smoking fire pot, Literally a furnace, but not a furnace like you think of a furnace, like a pot that would be used to cook. That's a, that's a burning fire pot. And then a flaming torch. So there's smoke, there's fire, and these things move between the pieces. This is symbolizing God Himself. You know, later on, He's going to be the, the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. When He descended on Mount Sinai, it came like the smoke of a kiln as He descended in fire. And so he appears to Abram, and he symbolically walks through the pieces, binding himself, swearing an oath to give this land to Abram. God is the one making the promise. He's swearing an oath. He's binding himself. He swears by himself, saying, as it were, the Lord do to me, and more also, if I do not give your offspring this land, the covenant is cut on that day. The deed to the land was signed on the dotted line. It was as good as done. The grant of land is described from the border of Egypt to the Euphrates, and the land of ten nations, which shows how numerous his offspring is going to be, fill up the land that ten nations then, including the Rephaim, who were giants, were then occupying. God would give it to them. God was giving it to him. And the covenant is an oath of God, like I said, that establishes a relationship between him and Abram's offspring, gives the land to them as vassals. So that, of course, it's initiated by God, it's an oath sworn by God, it's by his grace, he will see to its fulfillment, but it also then has obligations upon Abram. He's supposed to live as God's people. He is God's vassal. Uh, Likewise for you and me. We receive the covenant freely by faith, and then it binds us to live accordingly, we don't keep the Ten Commandments so that God will deliver us, right? We don't keep, try to keep the Ten Commandments so that He'll love us, but rather because He has loved us, because He has brought us out, because He has promised us our inheritance, because He is our God and our Redeemer, so we keep His commandments. We live accordingly and repenting when we don't. And so, the land promise has been expanded, but you are heirs of this covenant. God calls you from the world and he gives you an everlasting inheritance in his kingdom, constituting you as his heirs, his vassals, his sons. He's bound him by oath to grant you the land. And he fulfills the oath at a high cost, the cost of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who was put to death, who died that you might receive the kingdom. And so just as God... uh, swore this oath and confirmed it by signs. So today, this covenant is revealed in the gospel and it is also symbolized by signs that accompany the word. The word and the signs go together that it might build up your faith, not act as something magical, not really being even a symbol of your faith, but a symbol of his promise that we receive by faith. So let me conclude with two other passages that summarize this covenant, just briefly. Psalm 105, I almost chose it as the Old Testament reading, but it's quite long, so you can look at that on your own to compare. But it summarizes the covenant with Abraham in one sentence. To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. And then that psalm recounts the whole history of how God carried it out, how he protected his people, how he sent the plagues on Egypt, how he brought his people out with singing how he cared for them in the wilderness, that he would give them the land of the nations, and then get this, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. God delivered them to give them the inheritance so that they might serve him there. And then finally, to return to Luke, Zachariah said that Jesus came to fulfill God's holy covenant. And that covenant is summarized as the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's the the substance, the essence of the covenant of grace. It's the oath of God himself. It's an ancient covenant and a trustworthy one. So believe the Lord. Follow him by faith, that you might be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. To him be glory and dominion now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the security that your covenant gives us and that you have bound yourself to the fulfillment of these promises to care for us, your people, to protect us, to sustain us, and to give us everlasting life before you forever. We pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we might uh, go forth in the certain knowledge of your grace and favor and the hope we have. We pray that you would work out your promises uh, in history and giving the nations as the inheritance to the Lord Jesus Christ, the offspring of, of Abraham, and that you would fulfill it towards us who believe in him to sustain us through tribulation and to bring us to glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.